0: Thank you open your bibles please to the book of acts chapter 11 i'll be uh back in the book of revelation next week we're going through the book of revelation on sunday morning together but I'll, uh, I'll i'll be back next week i'm really glad to be back here at fbco i miss when i'm away and uh i'm kind of a dinosaur in that i love the church i mean i love the church in general and i say a dinosaur because i'm just telling you, many who name the name of christ have Devalued the church, ignored the church, don't care about the church. And um, the church is described as the creation of God, the bride of Christ, and it matters to the Lord. And, um, and But I don't just love the church in general, though I do, but I love this church in particular, FBCO. And I love, um, uh, uh, 28 years ago was my very first sermon, that first Sunday of. August, my very first sermon here at FBCO, and so just had a special place in my heart for a long, long time, and I'm glad to be back with you. I'm excited about the future. And Let me just say that the church is, you know, I I get the problem of the church. It's got people like us, right? That's the problem. You and me, imperfect people, uh, imperfect pastor, but God made it for a reason. There's a value to it, and so the church is not theirs. It's ours. I mean, it's God's, but under God, it's ours together. And when we see it that way, it's so much more valuable to it, to you, spiritually speaking. So I'll do my part and you do your part. I, I'll do my I'll tithe and give. I can't tithe and give for you. I can do that for me. You do your part. I, I, I can't serve for you. I can serve for me, but I can't serve for you. You serve the Lord in the areas He has for you. I can't connect for you, but I can connect for me. And God wants me to do my part in that. God wants you to do your part. And I want you to I can't invite for you, I can invite others, uh, myself, I can't do your part, and I want to encourage you to do all those things and connect together. I'm just excited about the next years together uh, at FBCO, and so let's open our Bibles. I want to talk this morning on the subject God builds the church, and we're going to look at the church in Antioch, and the Bible says about the church in Antioch that uh, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, and I think something like this happened in that church people said, and we see Christ in those people. We see Christ in those people. And I want that to be said of us. So let's read Acts chapter 11, I'm gonna read uh, beginning with verse 19. The Bible says, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Let's talk about four ways God builds the church. I want to encourage you to write these down. You can write them on the back of the Worship guide, or you can um, use the church app, and you can follow along. You'll stay with me better, I think, if you'll write these four things down. Four ways God builds the church. Number one, God brings good from bad situations. One way God builds the church is to bring good from bad situations. And in verse 19, the Bible says, "Those who had been scattered, well, there's been a scattering. Why, Why? What happened that caused this?" As a result, verse 19 says, as a result of the persecution, well, how about that for bad things? While while we're on bad situations, that's pretty bad. Persecution. That started, verse 19 says, that started because of Stephen. So those who've been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen. Do you remember that story earlier in the book of Acts? Stephen was the first martyr of the church. Stephen loved the Lord. Stephen did the right things. Stephen followed the Lord, and he got put to death, first martyr, first first one put to death for his great faith in the Lord. And because of that, the Bible says the church began to scatter. Christians there in Jerusalem went all over the world uh, leaving this persecution. And the Bible says they made their way as as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So you get the picture here. God takes this bad situation, persecution, and if you are on the receiving end of that, maybe you think of it, persecution, as sort of generic terms. Like, you know, it's not generic when it happens to you. And when you feel the persecution friends who lose their lives. I mean, maybe America will one day understand this more fully. Maybe we'll understand it more fully, but there are people across the world right now who are being persecuted because of their faith uh, in the Lord Jesus. And God would use even this bad thing, or this hard thing, to bring good. This is a broken, fallen world. And in this broken, fallen world, bad things happen. And Broken, fallen things happen in this broken, fallen world. And God often uses these bad things even for good. It's not that bad is good. Bad is bad, of course, right? But that God uses it. All things work together for the good of those who know and follow the Lord. God uses bad circumstances. And so the church that's facing persecution, God will use this as a means by which the message of the gospel is spread instead of staying right there in Jerusalem, they go all over the world, and some all the way to Antioch, and some even begin to share the message of the gospel with the Greeks, and people far away will come to hear the message of the gospel and respond. God will use bad in good situa- for good situations, bad situations to bring good from it. So my father um, came to know Christ as Savior when he was young, but he really grew in his faith during a vacation he had in Korea. Well, I call it a vacation. He was in the army, but they gave him free bullets and free food. So it's sort of like a vacation. And while he was there, in the most stressful time in his life, maybe the time when he was teaching his boys to drive may have matched that, but one of the most stressful moments of his life, in a conflict in Korea, people shooting at him and him shooting at other people. Great stress. God used that to really grow him in Christ. And that's the time when he, when he really recommitted himself to the Lord and he changed his perspective and began to thank the Lord for his blessings and God used it to call him into uh, to preach during that time it was really a time of great spiritual growth and by the way it wasn't just my father who grew in those difficult times the church in Korea grew in that time very few very few who knew Christ as Savior in Korea. But out of that great time of stress and difficulty, and there was a difficult time, out of that great time of stress, many people came to know the Lord so that the church in Korea now sends missionaries all over the world. Some of the most willing to sacrifice people in all the world are the Christians in Korea who are serving all over the place, and the persecuted church could testify how to how God uses bad circumstances and situations to bring good. The poverty-stricken church all over our world, we forget how blessed we are in this nation, how blessed we are in this world. And the poverty-stricken church all over the world would say God can bring good from bad situations. The enemy would use it for bad, God would use it for good. God even brings glory to his name through circumstances that are hard. Even something as difficult as the persecution that came because of this godly man Stephen. There's a second way God builds the church, and that is God blesses the proclamation of the gospel. God blesses the proclamation of the gospel. God chose to use the proclamation of the gospel as a means by which people hear the truth of who He is and respond to Him. And verse 20 says, "Uh, There were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. So most of those who were scattered because of the persecution, only spoke to the Jews. But there were some, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and the Bible says they began speaking to the Greeks also. Now, I suspect that many people, listen, there's nothing new under the sun. And the Bible tells us that there were the Gentiles, uh, the Greeks and the Jews, had great animosity toward each other, great, the is always dividing us in every way he can, there's great animosity in many, in many ways. And so many of the Jews who were scattered, the early Christians, only spoke to other Jews. But these from Cyprus and Cyrene, they were outside the centerpiece of the Jewish world. And maybe there was something about that that caused them to be open to recognizing the needs of the Greeks. And they had a compassion for those who had never heard the message of the gospel. And the Bible tells us they began to speak to speak to, the, to the Greeks also. But, by the way, can I just tell you, there's something Unnatural. Unnatural about not wanting to share the gospel with others. And there, there are many who name Christ a Savior, and I suspect I'm talking to some in this room right, right now who know Christ a Savior and will spend a lifetime never telling, never telling anyone else about the good news of the gospel. I'd say that's unnatural. Good news is for sharing. When well, Out in the atrium, I'll hear people talking about sports and good things that happen. By the way, I haven't heard very much chatter about the St. Louis Cardinals this year like I normally do. It's just been a little bit of a down year. But I'll hear guys talking about their favorite college team or whatever sports team. And they'll talk about it because when good news happens, there's something about it we want to share. Is it not odd that those of us who name the name of Christ would never talk to anyone else? Sometimes... For years and decades and sometimes a lifetime without telling anyone else about the hope that lies within us. The Bible says these men from Cyprus and Cyrene began speaking to the Greeks, and here's what they were doing proclaiming, verse 20 says, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. Do you see it there? So they were proclaiming, making proclamation of the good news about the Lord Jesus. They couldn't keep it to themselves, they wanted people to know the good news. So let me just kind of explain this message. They were saying to a broken, fallen world, to Greeks who had perhaps heard all their life, if you could just have enough pleasure, you'll be, your life will be fulfilled, and it did not fulfill. Or if you could just have enough possessions, you'll have everything you need, and yet they didn't. By the way, that's the same message that our world says here. If you could have enough pleasure, enough possessions, you'll be satisfied, and you'll never be satisfied. There's this need within us, So the good news about Jesus is what they proclaim, that though we are broken and there's an emptiness inside and sin separates us from God and leads to spiritual death, the good news about Jesus is God loved us though we were broken and God sent his son into this world to live for us the life that none of us could live the perfect life. And Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He paid the debt that was too great for us to pay. And he died in our place on that cross. And Jesus did this miraculous thing. He rose from the dead. Sin and death could not hold him and conquer him. And Jesus conquered it in the resurrection. And the Bible says if we will turn from our sin and trust Christ the Savior, Christ will save us. This is good news. It's the good news that we can't keep to ourselves. It's the good news that has to come out. It's the proclamation that our church has made since our founding in 1867 and for the last 28 years that I've been here, this message of the proclamation of the gospel. We we need that proclamation of the gospel. We are not at our heart a social club, though I love that we can have social connections. God made us for fellowship. There is something deeper that connects us, and it's the gospel message itself. Verse 21 says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So this was not just, hey, you Greeks, if you could just try a little harder, do better, be a little nicer, that'd be swell. The message is, man, there's a reason for the brokenness within you. There's a reason for this spiritual death, this need that you have that nothing can satisfy. And Christ can meet that deepest need and forgive your sins and give you life in Christ. Some of you are here who have never trusted Christ as Savior. And you need to be saved, the Bible says. You need to be born again, Jesus says. And I'm praying today even you would hear the proclamation of the gospel and respond and trust Christ to save you. And listen, the good news is Christ can save you. He can forgive you and change you from the inside out and adopt you into his family and make you a new person. God blesses the proclamation of the gospel. And church. And Let's always proclaim the truth of the gospel. It's unnatural to keep it to ourselves. So we want to spread the gospel here locally and to the ends of the earth. We want people to be saved. We're not neutral on this. Like if they, you know, if they trust Christ, fine. If they don't, fine. No, no, no. We want people to be saved. We're praying that the Lord's hand will be on us so that many people come to believe in the Lord Jesus and turn to him and find forgiveness and hope. God blesses the proclamation of, his, of the gospel. There's a third principle I want you to know. A, a third way God builds the church. God uses encouraging faithful people. So let's go to verse 22. News about them, that is the church at Antioch, reached the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, the center of spiritual life. It's where Jesus went to the cross. It's where Jesus rose from the grave. The church in Jerusalem is filled with the apostles. Well, news reaches about the church at Antioch, and it comes to Jerusalem. And so they say, we need to find out more about this. And so the Bible says they sent out, notice, Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. Why would they choose Barnabas? Why would they choose this man of all people they could have chosen? The Bible tells us more. Um, Verse 23 says, when Barnabas arrived and saw the grace of God, by the way, it was God doing the work, not just man. God's the only one who can save. The Bible says when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad. The Bible tells us, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. We ought to be delighted to see people saved. That'll bring joy to our heart to see people come to know him. He was glad, and notice this, and he encouraged all of them. Every time virtually virtually, that you see the name of Barnabas, it's connected to encouragement. His name means son of encouragement. He's the great encourager of the church. He was glad, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. He said to the church, man, you guys stay. Man, you stay faithful. Keep your word to the Lord. Grow in your faith. Have devoted hearts. Learn more about the things of God. Have a devotion deep within. Learn God's truth. Follow God's word. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. Remain true to him and have devoted hearts. Verse 24 says, for he was a good man. This is a great phrase, isn't it? He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That is, he wasn't about himself. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with faith. And the Bible says, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. And then notice this. And then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now we know Saul. We saw him earlier in the book of Acts. If you Go back, you can read the story of this guy named Saul. We know him better as Paul. And this man, Saul or Paul, trusts Christ as Savior, the guy who, the very man who's been persecuting the church. He was the guy standing there approving of the death of Stephen. He's the guy who goes house to house and arrests Christians and drags them off to jail. But he comes to know Christ as Savior. And Barnabas saw something in him, that son of encouragement saw something in the heart of, of Saul, this man that we know as Paul, and he brought him to Antioch, and the first real ministry experience for this great apostle Paul will be at Antioch. Man, never before, N- never have we needed as we need now. Never has we, have we needed as we, need, as we need now encouragers in the church of the Lord Jesus. Never as we need them now. Some of you know um, a little of what's happening in the life of our associate pastor, Skip Leininger. Skip is, uh, came home, actually, from the hospital yesterday after 23 nights in the hospital. We're really glad that he's home. Uh, yeah, that's great. He's had um, a long battle now with cancer, and it's caused some problems with his liver and his kidneys and just some ongoing problems. And so he's well enough that he's, he's still on dialysis, he still has lots of Difficulties. Twenty-three nights in the hospital would give evidence of that, uh, but he's definitely doing better. But just uh, I don't know, less than maybe two weeks ago, maybe less, he was um, uh, he got really bad, and we thought perhaps I got a phone call that said he might not live through the weekend, and I went uh, to visit him in the hospital. I said to Vicky, I said I'm going to go encourage. Now, obviously, he rallied and stuff doing better. I told Vicki, I'm going to go encourage that family. I've known Skip for 28 years. I've known his family well. I just I said, I'm going to go and encourage that family. And so I went to the hospital, and I just blubbered the whole time. When I saw his wife, she came out, the, I just blubbered. I just cried and cried and cried. And then every one of the kids, I know all these kids, as kids would come out. I'd just start crying anew every time. I went in and prayed with Skip. He was not responsive at that time. I'd go in and pray with Skip. I just blubbered and blubbered and blubbered. It got so bad, finally the family would all come to me and say, Oh, it's okay, Pastor Doug. It's all right. It's okay. They were encouraging me. What a great encourager I was. I tell you, the older I get, the more I cry. And I don't cry a lot, but when I do, man, I just go all, I'm all in on it, I guess. And and then they just encourage me and encourage me when I try to encourage them. Never Never have we needed, as we need today, encouragement. There are some of you. There are some of you who are working on a job. You're the only believer in your job. The only serious believer in your job. Some of you, the only serious follower of Jesus in your family. Some of you, the only serious follower of the Lord among your peer group. For some of you, you feel very lonely and isolated in your spiritual life. We need each other. We need encouragers. How thankful I am for people in our lives who are like Barnabas and who love us and encourage us. Who help us to have devoted hearts. Who help us to grow in our faith. Who teach us and encourage us and love us. And you say in your life you're saying right now man that is awesome I love it when somebody encourages me and someone who helps me and someone who loves me and someone who's there for me that is awesome but can I tell you an even greater need than that not just while I love that you'll have encouragers in your life the greater need is that you yourself will be an encourager we need you to be a Barnabas there's someone who needs you in their life to be an encouragement because they're going through difficulties in life. And they feel spiritually alone. And they have questions in their life that they don't know how to answer and problems they don't know how to deal with. And God places you in their life for a reason. It's one of the reasons God formed the church. Because we need each other. And God, listen, God uses encouraging, faithful people and we need them desperately. We need people who will think of others and not just themselves. We need some good men like Barnabas, filled with the Holy Spirit and faith. We need some people who will see the grace of God and be glad and encourage us all to remain true to the Lord, and we need to be that in the lives of others. And I wonder if God wouldn't use someone like you. I wonder if he wouldn't use someone like you. You know, Saul had not been a Christian that long when God began to use him as an encourager. Barnabas wasn't like, he was flesh and blood like us. As much in need of a Savior as any of us are in need of a Savior. But he saw something about the need for encouragement. And everywhere he went, I'm going to encourage. And I'm going to help. And I'm going to support. And I'm going to be for. Barnabas' life wasn't just identified by what he didn't like or what he was against or what he hated or or his anger or bitterness. Man, he encouraged. We need that more than we've ever needed in this in this day and age. Perhaps God has brought you to this place to hear that truth. God wants to use you to be an encouraging, faithful person. God wants you to help someone grow in their faith. There's a fourth way God builds the church. I want you to note this. God calls the church to a deeper faith, to a deeper faith. One of the ways God builds his church is broader. Large numbers of people are added to the Lord. One of the ways God builds his church is deeper. Verse 26 says this, verse 25. He went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught, taught large numbers. For a whole year. For a whole year. This wasn't just a, like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to follow God today, though a year is made up of days, I get that. But for a whole year, there's some consistency in the life of the church at Antioch. They began to read the Bible for, their, for themselves, I suspect, to take personal ownership, to find out what God had to say. They studied the Scriptures and learned. They met together with others and learned. They gathered together as a church for a whole year. God wants to make a difference in you. And I tell you, one of the ways he does it is certainly day by day, but it's also year by year. That is to say, what what happens, what you'll be like a year from now will be determined in large measure by what you do or don't do. So if for the next year you're not reading the Bible for yourself, you're probably not going to be growing very much. But if you take personal ownership, you could read the entire New Testament in a year. Certainly you could do that. You could read the whole Bible in a year. You could, you're capable of doing this. You're capable of having a devotional life where day by day you're spending time with God. For a whole year, if you were studying the Bible in a small group with others, for a whole year if you were gathered in worship, enthusiastic about the opportunities, writing down everything God wants you to learn, Pouring yourself into your spiritual growth for a whole year, the Bible says. What did they do? For a whole year, they met with the church. Did you see that? It's right in the text. They met with the church in person. They weren't Zooming. They were in person. Now, I love that we have people watching online. We have many people watching online, people who are far away or traveling or people who have circumstances where they can't be with us. But can I just tell you, nothing can replace gathering together. Nothing can replace it. There is something special about being together. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's something about that. And I look back over the last 28 years and some things I said, you know, I could have done that better. But one thing I am so thankful for is for 28 years now, I've encouraged the church to be active in life groups. Life groups are small group Bible studies from the Preschoolers all the way to the oldest senior adults. I love that. I love it. And I see the benefit of it. People who get connected to a life group have a tendency to grow because there's a power to meeting together. And people who don't get involved have a tendency to drift. There's just that danger because there's something powerful about meeting together. And the Bible says for a whole year they met with the church. And I want to encourage you to be active and faithful and dependable in worship, to gather together. There's a power to that. Some of you are more introverted. Some of you don't much like people, but you still need people whether you like them very much or not. There's a great value and benefit in our gathering. And so I want to encourage you once again to find a life group. School will be starting soon. There'll be some real opportunities to gather again. I want to encourage you in that and to take that more. For some of you, it'll be a more... Uh, challenging thing for you to just gather. I mean, just to go into a group with other people and say, what you're, say your name even. And there, but there's such benefit to doing some hard things in life that will result in good results. For a whole year they met with the church. And notice it's, the Bible says, and they taught large numbers. I pray often for our life group teachers because I know there's a, there's a privilege with teaching, but there's a responsibility that comes. We'll meet this week, in fact, to do teacher training on Wednesday night with our life group teachers. We, we think so, it's so valuable to us. We gather together to say, how can we do this better? How can we be more effective? And the Bible says about the church at Antioch and about Barnabas and Saul, they taught, they studied, they learned, they wanted to grow deeper in faith. So I, I think they must have loved to see the church getting wider large numbers of people being added to the Lord. They were glad to see the grace of God as the church got wider. But they wanted the church to grow deeper, to learn, to study, to grow, to live out their faith. And God wants both. And notice what happens at the end of verse 26. The disciples were first called what? The disciples were first called what? Christians at Antioch. Christians. People said, those folks, man, they're like Christ. I see Christ in them, I see Christ in them. I see Christ in in the way they care about people who are lost and they rejoice to see people come to Christ as they share the gospel, as they proclaim the message, as they care about people. And I see Christ in them as they grow deeper and study and meet together and learn and grow together and live life together and do the hard things together. I see Christ in them. I don't want people to be able to say about FBCO, man, I see, I see Jesus in them. I see Jesus in them, in their love and their Evangelism. I see Jesus in them, in their growth and their discipleship. I see Jesus in them. Those, those folks are like Christ. And God used that to build the church. And He's still building the church today. He's still growing us wider and He's still growing us deeper. Because God cares deeply about the church, He cares deeply about the church the bride of Christ made by the Lord Jesus for a reason. It still matters today. God wants to build the church in the world and right here. Let's pray together. As we bow, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I wanna urge you to give your life to Jesus. I wanna urge you to be saved today, to turn from sin and give your life to Christ, to place your faith in him. Ask him to save you. Christ can save you. Maybe God brought you here so you would hear that gospel message that Christ died for you, that you can be saved. Would you give your life to Christ today? Christian, I want to ask you today to take that next step. I'm thankful the Lord grows us wider, but God wants to grow us deeper. And Maybe God's working in your life about growing deeper in faith, about becoming more of what he wants you to become, learning what he wants you to learn, doing what he wants you to do. Father, I thank you for the church. The very thing that in the Western world we've tended to ignore, Christians in the Western world have sort of ignored this, almost almost mocked the idea of the church, but you made it for a reason. It matters to you. The church in general and the church specific, the church all around, but the church right here, FBCO, you love the church. You build the church. And so, Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus to grow us wider and to grow us deeper to build the church so that your name is glorified. And we thank you that we have a part to play, each of us. We use our gifts and talents and time and treasure in a way that glorifies your name and makes an impact in this world. We thank you we can participate in what you're doing in this world. And so, Father, we ask you to build the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.